Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. If you're just joining us, you've come at a great time. It is still self-knowledge September. And you know, we're big believers in self-knowledge. It's where it all begins. And that's why we're beginning our monthly themes with self-knowledge. I'm Chad Prevost, your co-host on the Big Self Podcast, and accompanied here by my fellow host. Hello, Shelly here. Hey, Shelly. You know, one of the hardest things about self-knowledge... What's that? You don't know what you don't know. I don't know if you've heard that before, but so what we're trying to do this month and really all the time is to help people lift the lid on their brains and get inside and do some self work. And to that end, do not forget y'all, we have a self-knowledge class coming up on September 29th. You can get all the details at bigselfschool.com slash Slash, slash classes. Easy for you to say. And uh, look for the self-knowledge class. We would love to have you join us. Yeah, right. I've been learning so much more, not only about myself, but about self-knowledge and, you know, in general. And one of the things that I've been kind of doing a little learning on is the idea of self-compassion and how it can be hard. Sometimes we don't treat ourselves very well and we're not always aware of it because it's our default mode. And we're, again, we don't know what we don't know. Our guest today, Shauna Bose, she has some ideas on how to keep a fluid and open mind when it comes to learning about yourself. That's right. We have Shauna Bose on our show today on the podcast. She is a graduate practicum student at NIA, which I think is the NIA project at Emory University. She's currently pursuing her PhD in clinical psychology at Emory. She most recently completed a clinical practicum working with treatment-resistant depression. Uh, that's that's really cool. Sounds tough. I, I hope we can talk about that a little bit. She's worked with diverse clients, including adolescents and adults from various ethnic and cultural backgrounds, both in therapy and in assessment. Her research involves uh, intellectual humility, which I think we're going to really dive into today with her. Uh, She's also looked at personality development, both normal and abnormal range, kind of the development of a personality traits, uh, and also decision making with, with a specific interest in leveraging traits to facilitate respectful interpersonal discourse and open mindedness. Gosh, we need this right now. Yeah, let's jump in. Shauna Bose, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's great to have you. So you're in Atlanta. How is everything there in your neck of the woods? It's a bit of a crazy time, you know, I think for everyone, but I love yeah. Atlanta and I I think we're trying hard to persevere. Well, yeah. good. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much stress going on in our country today. Atlanta's not immune to to it either, of course. I mean, it's a global pandemic. Right. Um, how are you how are you holding up, Shauna? Do you feel like it's kind of more of the same or is it waves and like fits and spurts or how are you how are you doing through all this? I appreciate you asking. It definitely uh, comes in waves for me. Uh, Time has taken on a different meaning where uh, it feels a lot slower. And I also can't believe that we're, you know, in September of 2020 at the same time. So just taking it day by day. (laughs) That's true. Um, Well, one thing that you have been able to launch recently 
You've got a new blog on Psychology Today. It's called Don't Believe Everything You Think, which I think is a great title. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I recently started this blog with Psychology Today, and one of the things I'm really interested in as a researcher and I'm excited to bring to this forum is how we intersect with our beliefs. Um, A Mm. lot of times we become so fused with what we think that it's hard to understand or appreciate that we might be wrong. And a lot of times it can be really painful, especially with our cherished beliefs, uh, to think that we might be wrong. So I want to explore what kinds of things might we be wrong about and how can we interact with those we might disagree with or handle polarized topics or even just talk to ourselves about our beliefs. I love this. And like, and I said, said a little earlier, this is, could not be more opportune time to um, talk about this and teach this and help people really wrap their heads around. Cause I think it's a, it's a, it's an emotional thing, but I love what you're doing and giving some tools for people to think through this. So I think uh, Chad and I've talked about this. We live in these echo chambers more and more, especially with social media And you write that the tendency to favorably interpret information that supports one's belief while denying, dismissing, and distorting information that does not, uh, I think think we're talking about some confirmation bias there. We know that confirmation bias can be harmful across settings and contribute to ideological extremism. Um, and so the, the way that I think you're talking about this is you're calling it intellectual humility. So tell us what intellectual humility is. Yeah, so intellectual humility is something that has been talked about a long time, um, has been talked about for a long time in, in domains such as philosophy um, and you know epistemic virtues and things like that. And recently it's become of psychological interest. And I think one of the reasons is, you know, based on its definition. So intellectual humility refers to the tendency to, you know, evaluate our beliefs and question the veracity of our beliefs and really be aware of the limitations in our information seeking abilities. And it's theorized to be a personality trait. So something maybe that we come into the world with in in a lot of ways, but that's an open area. It's up for discussion and debate. I think one of the most important things about it right now is, is it something that can be leveraged to reduce, you know, what you read, confirmation bias and ideological extremism? Well, I think in some ways you're kind of answering the question of why we should care about it. It sounds like it could do a lot of good things, but you bring up um, like if it's you're maybe not the jury's still out on whether or not you may be born with the ability to have it. Surely for some of uh, some of us out there, we can develop those skills, right? It's a great question. Again, I think one that's up for consideration and one, one that needs to be studied. There is some evidence thus far that we can increase intellectual humility, at least in the short term, with certain primes or certain manipulations. But there also is evidence that it's pretty stable um, if we measure you know, self-reported intellectual humility over the course of a few months. It doesn't really change too much for a lot of people, which suggests, again, that it might be dispositional. But with most things in psychology, the picture usually is way more complicated than we like to think. And it's likely that there are transient or state-like 
aspects of intellectual humility that we can move around. And there's probably also elements that are that are a little bit fixed that we might not be able to do as much about later in life. Um, I think one area we're really going to want to look at is can we teach it at an early age? Mm-hmm. I think in our education system, we really have neglected critical thinking skills. And I think if we talk about how we interact with evidence and information at an early age, I do wonder if we can make some some changes there. I love that. I, I'm thinking of empathy, you know, and as mm-hmm. um, a skill that can be taught. But yeah, I think it is complex because some of some people, uh, their personality wires them more toward an empathic disposition, like you're saying. So, um, so I, I am wondering, like, what personality traits? do you see kind of lending themselves more to having the ability to have this intellectual humility? Do you see that? Do you see more personality traits with um, like what would correlate higher with this intellectual humility? Empathy is a a great thing to bring up. Um, There is some research that shows that um, cognitive empathy. So that's like the ability to perspective take and mm-hmm. affective empathy. So that's like emotionally understanding someone else. Both of those are pretty highly correlated with intellectual humility, which would make sense if intellectual mm-hmm. humility fosters respect for someone else. We probably need to understand where they're coming from in order to respect their position. And Intellectual humility is also related to other um, what we call cognitive styles. So how we interact with information, like enjoying complexity, um, being curious and open minded. And then in the personality space, um, being humble kind of generally hangs together Mm -hmm. with intellectual humility. That was one of my questions too. Sorry, honey. (laughs) This is so fascinating to me. How does intellectual or does intellectual humility, I think in reading your article, you said that it does have, it's nuanced from just generalized humility. So how do you see those looking differently or are they different? This again is an area of debate in the literature, how we exactly fit intellectual Mm. humility into the humility broadly, you know, space. Um, From my perspective, I think that they are, you know, very similar. um, But I do think there are some important differences between the two. I might say at this point that intellectual humility perhaps is a more specific manifestation or variant of general humility. But it is something that uh, correlates, you know, with, with other variables, even when you take general humility out of the picture. So if you control for it, intellectual humility still predicts other constructs like open-mindedness. So it's telling us mm-hmm. something extra from, from general humility. And I think the piece, again, that's really unique or, or special about intellectual humility is it's not just how I feel about myself or how I see myself and think, okay, I'm not superior, you know, compared with other people, but it's really about the way I think. And it's mm-hmm. so hard. Like you said earlier, there's a huge emotional element with our thoughts and our beliefs. So to be able to say and own and reflect on our limitations in our thoughts. Um, I think that's something that, you know, we've neglected for a while in, in psychology and something that I'm very excited we're, we're finally discussing. Mm-hmm. 
Well, okay. Well, so it, it's important to keep an open mind. Uh, well, why is it why is it so important to keep an open mind, especially when it's going to come to doing some personal growth? I love that question. And to answer it a little bit differently first, I think open-mindedness is incredibly important, but I also want to emphasize that open-mindedness is um, not foolproof in of itself. I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase, you know, you don't want to be so open-minded that your brain falls out. And I think that's another aspect or nuance that we want to keep in mind. We don't want to be so open-minded that we don't stand for anything, that we don't have beliefs, that we just kind of accept anything that comes our way. But great point. being open-minded to you know, good evidence, compelling evidence to someone sitting you down and saying, let's talk about this. I disagree with you. You know, if you're a liberal, maybe turning on Fox every once in a while, if you're a conservative turning on MSNBC every once in a while and thinking maybe there are some points here that I haven't considered and why it's so important for personal growth. I think um, it really does take us out of that echo chamber instead of being around a yes man all the time we're really having to you know, come to, to grips with potentially conflicting information. And growth is painful, I think, in a lot of ways. And we need to experience some pain in our belief system in order to continue flourishing and thriving and really having a foundation to stand on. Like, okay, I've looked at the evidence. I believe what I believe. And if something else comes along, I'm willing to consider it. Yeah, I, you know, I'm thinking about just where we are as a nation right now and, and, and perhaps globally too, but, um, you know, and as I, as I've shared with clients or talking with people about kind of, um, the finesse of having hard conversations with people and it, it really is, it's really hard for, (laughs) even if you are intellectually humble or you see yourself that way and you try and so you enter these hard conversations, um, they get emotional, the amygdala starts firing. And, and if you're in a, a conversation with somebody who does not respect intellectual humility, <laughs> it becomes almost unbearable. And so, and I think, and so then people go into their corners, they dig their heels in, you know, well, I tried, why aren't you trying? And so, I, you know, I think there's this this real impasse that we're at right now that I see is kind of revving up and there's so much conflict around this. Um, and I think you've talked too about intellectual humility and how it, it may perhaps strengthen social bonds in the aftermath of conflict. So as we're, as we're all doing this dance socially right now around all these political and racial conversations that are people are having, how do we do this? Like, how do we move through these, these really difficult conversations and then get through the conflict and maybe actually strengthen some bonds with people that we might not agree with? Big questions. Important. I I think, you know, in terms of strengthening social bonds to go to that end first, I think, If we are aware of our own limitations and are humble about our beliefs, I think it makes it easier to be forgiving and to be tolerant of of differences. So 
um, as I talked about in the article, there's some evidence that intellectual humility is related to forgiving someone for a transgression in the political domain and even in the religious domain. And I think that's, you know, crucial here because it's okay to take a stand on something. It's okay to feel really passionately about something, but to be able to forgive someone for slipping up or saying something hurtful and that tolerant um, piece as well, to be able to tolerate the fact that you might have to agree to disagree and you don't have to change someone else's mind in every single conversation um, in order to move forward. So that's more, you know, the strengthening social bonds aspect. And like you said, in terms of navigating the conversation in the first place, I think there's a lot of interesting complexities there. Um, there actually is some very new work showing that valuing humility can uh, contribute to more polarization for exactly the point that you raise. If I value humility and the other person does not at all, perhaps I dislike them even more because they don't value something that I cherish. Um, so I think it's just, it is very challenging to go into an emotional situation with our values, with our beliefs and try to navigate it respectfully. I love that you, what you said, um, the goal isn't to change someone's mind, you know, cause I, cause when I'm in these conversations or I'm, I'm helping people think about, okay, how, how do I go to Thanksgiving dinner and have these conversations? <laughs> um, we have to be clear on the goal. Like, why is the goal always to get you to believe what I believe or to yeah. change your mind. Like, why is that the goal? Why can't the goal be um, understanding or, or just plain empathy? Like, I'm just, I'm just going to like sit here and, and uh, think how you're thinking for a minute or feel how you're feeling. Or maybe the goal is to challenge my own beliefs. So I think that we're in this, um, this thick place of like, the goal is to change you somehow. And so I love that you said that. I love that word thick too. It definitely feels, you know, mm -hmm. like we're in a sticky, thick situation. And um, yeah, I think we've, as a society in many ways, totally lost sight of goals and conversations. I feel like the, the mantra of today is, you know, change, 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 change. And it's understandable. There are so many contentious things going on in the world. I mean, we're facing an unprecedented global health crisis. Race tensions are an all-time high, and people are scared to leave their house at the same time. So mm -hmm. I get why people are focused on, on changing dogmatism, on changing polarization. And I think we need that mentality in many ways. But like you said, the goal of every single conversation doesn't need to be changed. And I think mm -hmm. we need to think about who we're speaking to. I think, especially coming from an educated background where you're getting a PhD, you start to really, I think, believe that other people understand the way that you do. And mm -hmm. education in many ways is a privilege. Being able mm -hmm. to have access to this information is a privilege. So like you said, just to be able to sit down with someone and hear them and you might learn something even if you disagree with it. And it might just be the start of someone, you know, thinking about changing their own mind. But we've got to start somewhere. And it isn't always, well, I'm right. Now you need to yeah. think I'm right too. <laughs> oh, so can we can we get into your head a little bit, Shauna? Sure. So I wanna I wanna imagine that you are entering a conversation. I want to get into your head a little bit and imagine that you're entering into a conversation that might be difficult or you're anticipating it could be difficult. 
yet, you know, here you are uh, a researcher, you have this empirical kind of um, way of thinking about intellectual humility. Like, how do you do that when you're, you are, you know, the researcher, the, the expert here entering these conversations? Like, is it a metacognition? Are you like observing yourself thinking and interacting? Like, how do you in practice, like real practically, how does this look for you? That's a great question. And I think the first part of my answer is that I'm a person, I'm a human, right? Even though I, you know, study these things, I certainly am not, not perfect at them. And even, you know, thinking about clinical psychology broadly, which is what I study, like I provide therapy services. I wish I could take all of the advice that I give, right? you know, to yeah. other people. Right. To our own lives. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I think the same applies here. Um, it's very challenging, especially once your, you know, nervous system is activated and your heart's pounding and you're sweating and you feel disrespected or you feel angry. I mean, even if we make this example so small about like your partner doing dishes, we all have felt that <laughs> getting heated before and that even can be hard. So talking about something really like religion or politics that is so dear to you. It's just hard. Um, the way I would try to approach it again in an ideal situation is that metacognitive aspect of like, I do need to observe myself a little bit here. Like, okay, I noticed my heart is racing. I need to keep that in mind because that means I'm emotional. That means I'm a little activated and maybe I need to you know, take a step back or really be mindful of what I'm going to say next. Otherwise, my emotions are going to be driving the car. And mm -hmm. I think focusing on I statements is um, what, you know, what we talk about in therapy, but I think it's really important for intellectual humility as well. It's not about what's going on in your head, but I think this, you know, I'm willing to hear you out on this. I'm willing to face challenging information I feel a little hurt, but I do want to talk about it. You know, all of those were I statements and those feel very different than you're wrong. You're yeah. upsetting me. Um, you're not listening. So that's one approach my I like to take. Here's my problem, Shauna. I'll, I'm doing I statements. I'm like, I want to throw darts in your eyeballs right now <laughs> because, this is, because I'm so emotionally flooded. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that's exactly right, though. Like, I think you've said that at the dinner table probably. a time or two. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> maybe it was something about a knife. I well, can't remember. I'm, I'm thinking about like I'm, you know, this the metacognition, like like you know, mom and dad, if you are listening, I love you, but we cannot have conversations about politics and religion. Mm -hmm. like it's just really, really. Uh, all every motion you just said, it's hurtful. It's like, I don't understand. It becomes like the devolving kind of chaos. And then I just want to start yelling and throwing names out there. And I'm, but I'm still observing. I'm still like, I'm doing it. I'm like running off the cliff and coming into <laughs> this emotional state. Uh, yeah, you do that. I do. So, so like the observing is, is a piece of that. And I think where I'm, my growing edge for me is the calming myself down so that I can get back into my rational brain. Like that's really, and I think it's, it's hard for a lot of people, a lot of, and I'm an emotional person. So that's, that's a tough place for me to be. Totally. And intellectual humility is linked with distress tolerance. So the emotional mm. piece is, that makes I would sense. say 
just as important um, as the metacognitive piece. Like you said, I can step back and observe myself and see like, okay, I'm getting emotional. And you can still watch yourself like run off the cliff. Um, <laughs> so to be, I think there's got to be some sort of break system, either that yeah. I can tolerate the stress right now. I can keep, you know, on the path. I can be respectful. I can handle it. And, you know, great advice that we often don't remember in emotional moments is not everything needs to be said at once. And a break system can be an emergency evacuation system to say, I think we've kind of said all that can be said right now. And I think we should probably, you know, we can, we can talk about this another time. Maybe when we're less emotional, I I really do want to hear what you have to say. And I actually don't think I'm in the headspace to hear it. And I think we forget that we can stop. (laughs) Really good advice. Well, you know, I, so, and well, I know all of this stuff is hard. Um, and you hear a lot of talk about sort of like, well, we need to change for, and when it comes to self-knowledge, we need to change the story that we're telling ourselves. Um, and yes, I think it's a given, it's hard to change our story. I don't know how realistic it even always is, but if they were to try to do that, Shauna, like what's the process look like? I think that process, as simple as it might sound, might be going from 100% certainty to 99% certainty. Mm, I love that. I think changing the story, like you said, is hard. I think we could talk about how hard it is until we're, you know, blue in the face. But the stories we tell ourselves that I think can become problematic are the stories that are imbued with total certainty. Like, you know... God exists 110%. I am not willing to even question that or think about that or challenge that. And I think even bringing that down, like I said, to a 99%, like I'm 99% sure that God exists. It's a huge part of my life. I have faith. I, you know, go to church, whatever. That, but there's a 1% chance I could be wrong, and I'm open to that possibility. I'm not super open to that possibility. I'm still 99% sure that, you know, this is this is real, but let's sit down and talk yeah. about it. I don't know if that makes sense. I love that. Micro steps. Micro steps, exactly. Well, and it gives, a, you know, 1%. People can do that. It's like a 1% of a little door opening so that we at least can have the conversation. If you're if you're starting and ending at 100%, that makes it really hard to be in relationship in a in a growing relationship with somebody because it's it's all based on certainty. And it makes me think of um you know, Chad is what you're saying that you know the the stories we construct and we learn these core beliefs so early and then they're reinforced. So by the time they're you're our age, we're pretty um certain, you know, and, and I don't know anything I'm a hundred percent certain about. I try not to be, I try to be a thoughtful person. Uh, but yeah, I think you, those are reinforced over so many decades now. Like it's really tricky. So I think if the, the 1% feels really doable. So I like that advice a lot. And the stories do get, you know, reinforced from childhood. I think that's yeah. Another important reminder as we interact with different adults, we we think, you know, I'm an adult talking to an adult, but there's decades and decades of learning history there that oh, we need to be mindful of. Yeah, I remember. Um, so I went to Southern Baptist College in Kentucky 
and grew up Southern Baptist. And so, you know, one of the tenets of the Southern Baptist faith is there's not a lot of women in leadership. And Mm so that's just something that, um, that's just the way it is. And so going to actually when Chad and I met, so right out of, out of college, I went to a youth camp and it was, there was a woman pastor and that was my 1%. That was my, like, my door into, oh, wait, there's, if, if this can happen, if women can lead and preach a church or a camp or like they're in, you know, quote, ordained by God to lead in this way, then what else could, could I be wrong about or have maybe taught that um, I could at least challenge and think about a little bit more? And so that set me on a very different path of questioning and being curious um, so I, I, I really like that. I think the 1% is going to help people. I love that example too. That's really powerful. Um, you know, being yeah. exposed to, to different ideas or different people is a great first step. And one that many people don't get to take until later in life. If you, you come from a rural Southern town, you might not have ever even met an openly gay person or a mm-hmm. woman in leadership, um, or, you know, or a multitude of things. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. doesn't even mean that you're a closed minded person. It just means you haven't had the opportunity to take that step. And I think what you said is really lovely. It, it really mm-hmm. is about that exposure and what do you do with that exposure once you have it? Yes, I think that was a good example, Shelley. Uh, way, way to go there on the on the side. <laughs> um, you know, well, Shauna, you must live a pretty uh, disciplined life doing your PhD. I guess you're in your last year. Could you share with us, like, what what practices or, or routines work for you as you practice some intellectual humility? I think um, two things that don't always hang together, structure and flexibility. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Those are my two guiding principles. Um, I think structure is really necessary for any kind of growth because if you don't have boundaries for yourself, um, for how you speak with people, how you um, accept information, it's really hard to know if you're even growing in the first place. So to have that in place for yourself, to have that routine, and again, like just be knowledgeable about what you're willing to say and what you're willing to accept. Um, But like anything in life, flexibility is necessary. And that's something that is, I think, more challenging for me. I like um, things to go a certain way. Um, I have very high expectations of myself and often of other people and learning to cultivate flexibility with how I approach things, how I, um, talk to myself about my productivity, how I talk to other people. Um, that's been really, really hard and so important. And I think, um, I see that as a part of my own growth with intellectual humility is adding in that, that flexibility piece. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I like that. That's, uh, you're speaking my language. (laughs) Totally. So yeah, I think that that, um, high achievers, which I don't know if I'm a high, I guess maybe I am. I I try to get a lot done and we hold ourselves to these standards. And so, yeah, being mindful of how am I talking to myself? How can I hold these beliefs a little less rigidly, be a little bit kinder, like not expect perfection all the time. How do those low performers impact the high performers? (laughs) Things like that. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know about that, but we we are uh, doing something a little bit different on the podcast that we're throwing you some just like total random zinger questions. Just love it. Okay, so the question we have for you, if you had a choice between two superpowers, 
either being invisible or flying, which would you choose? I feel like this is the most important question you've asked me. So, <laughs> so important. Um, that is a great question. And both are very appealing in different ways. I right. think I would ultimately choose flying because I think it would just be so exhilarating. You wouldn't have to sit in Atlanta rush hour traffic. Whoa. Um, oh, context is everything. Context is everything. And I think I could actually abuse um, being invisible to be nice. <laughs> <so. laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I would choose invisible. Yeah. Oh, I probably would. would exploit that in unhealthy ways. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if I were invisible. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's good. Good, good, good. Great answer. Uh, we loved it. What a delightful, uh, just enlightening, interesting conversation. Thanks for jumping on the line with us for a little while. Thanks so much again for having me. Uh, I love talking about these things and I think it's great that we're having these kinds of conversations on a podcast at, you know, 1030 in the morning. <laughs> I know, right? And we are, uh, the Big Self School, we're having a class in October um, called how to have hard conversations. So this is giving me a lot of uh, really important mm -hmm. content to be thinking about and researching uh, to present to our community. So thank you. I love that. I want to. I want to know how. Pe how can people find you? They did the Psychology Today blog, uh, but if they want to learn more about you and the work that you're doing, what's a good place to find you? Um, yeah, so I, I'm a student at Emory and my Emory email, I believe you can find it online. Um, and then my Gmail is, um, something that I'll have, you know, forever. My Emory one eventually will disappear, which is, so sad. um, so I mean, I can, I'm very happy to share it. It's, um, my first name, Shauna, S-H-A-U-N-A period M as in mom period and my last name b-o-w-e-s at gmail.com and right. i love chatting i love different ideas so feel free yeah, to yeah. reach out what's your twitter profile that's a great question and i actually will have to google what it is <laughs> well, yeah, they, can just, they can search for you i would think they're shauna bose shauna bose i think there's a great. one in it shauna bose one yep that's what okay at shauna bose one okay, okay. awesome Thank you so much, Shauna. Yeah, it this, has been great. Thanks for having me. This is so good and important. And uh, we're just grateful for your time being here with us. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. At the Big Self School, we know you want to connect with the world in a way that's meaningful and get rid of that feeling that life is just passing you by without you having anything to show for it. To do that, you need a community that supports you as you rediscover your purpose and resources to help you along the way. So we're creating books, we're building workshops, we have group coaching to help you rediscover your big self that we call Inner Circles and a healthy and whole community at Big Self School. So check out our two-hour virtual classes on how to build resiliency, how to discover what you really want, how to like yourself more, and how to find calm. I need that one and many more at bigselfschool.com forward slash classes. We will see you on our next episode.